Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Living stones, not bricks and mortar, but stones that are alive. Stones that are to be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Stones that are to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's people, living stones. I'm thankful for God's people, aren't you? God's people who get involved in one another's lives and who share with each other. And even just brief contacts that we seem to have every once in a while. I'm thankful for God's people who minister to us. I'm thankful that our students are involved in ministry. I'm thankful for our young adults that are involved in ministry. I'm thankful for those who encourage us and and minister to us. I'm thankful for families, aren't you? Families who come as living stones built up spiritual sacrifices. And I'm thankful that Wayne now knows what it means to be a living stone. Those of you who may not know, Wayne Peterson was promoted to glory a week ago yesterday. Ten years previous to that, he had had a stroke. Was able to get around some, but two years later, eight years ago, he had a debilitating stroke that left him in a wheelchair unable to verbally communicate. Although, you knew what Wayne was thinking. He talked. And Wayne also was the only one I know in church that could kiss all the ladies and get away with it. (laughs) I think that was part of his spiritual sacrifice, ministering to people. Living stones. We now come to the third truth that Peter gives to us, a truth that unites us. He tells us in verse 2 that we are all exiles. And we are all exiles, elect exiles, but the reality is this world is not our home. And we are all exiles. We all will face troubles. We'll face trials. We will face difficulties in our lives. And verse 6 reminds us that even when we face these things, we can rejoice. And now in verse 8, we come to this third realization. And that is this. We all love Jesus. Amen? It is Jesus that brings us together. It is not a political affiliation, being a Republican or a Democrat. It's not being a young person or an old person. It's not being a traditionalist or someone who's on the cutting edge of technology. It's not somebody who gets their news from CNN or somebody who gets their news from the Fox News Network. What brings us together is that we all love Jesus. And it is that love for Him that brings us into the body of Christ and unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't let anything divide you. Because it is what unites us, and that is our love for Jesus Christ. Now, we may have different opinions. That's okay. We may have different challenges. That's okay. 
We may live in a different kind of home. That's okay. But what brings us together is our love for Jesus Christ. And I want that truth to penetrate our minds today. If you get nothing else out of this message today, remember our love for Jesus is what unites us in him. And when you have trouble loving one another, think about loving Jesus. Are you in 1 Peter chapter 1? Look with me at verses 8 and 9, will you please? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you've not seen him, you love him. You rejoice with joy, obtaining the wonder of our faith. Now last week I asked you to circle three words in this passage. Circle the word love, circle the word joy, and circle the word faith. Because it is these three qualities that help us live out our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with each other. And so as we share together this morning, it's very important that we understand what needs to be the focus of our lives? Love, joy, and faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. In our home, in our living room, on our end table, we have this. Now, I know you can't see it. That's okay. All it is is a picture frame. And at the bottom of the picture frame, it says this. Whom having not seen, we love. When I was a little kid, my parents had in our home a picture of Jesus. Mom tells me, and I don't remember, that I was walking through the living room one day, and I, I said, Mom, is that Jesus? She said, well, that's what some people think he looks like. I said, well, if that's him, I don't want anything to do with him. I mean, he had long hair. He had a beard. I wasn't used to that kind of thing in my world. But even though I've not seen him, I love him. Whom having not seen, we love. I have for you this morning a five by seven. Whom having not seen, we love. Ushers, would you come forward, please, and help me with this? And if you want to go out and get your own picture frame and put it in your home, you may do that. If you want to keep this in your Bibles, you may do that. But, but I want us to focus on who Jesus is and what he is doing in our lives. So I want everybody to have one of these this morning. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Ted, take these in case we run out, okay? Thank you. 
though we see him not, we love him. Last fall, Connie and I went out to Colorado. And during that time, we met some friends of ours in uh, Denver. And I say friends of ours, we hadn't seen them for 30 years. So we were really close. Now, every year we did share a Christmas letter, and Rick and Florence were on our prayer list, and, and we'd connect every once in a while. But it had been 30 years since we saw each other. And we went into their home, and we sat down, and it was just like we'd seen each other the day before. You know people like that? That's the way it ought to be with Jesus. When we get into our quiet times and we sit down with him, we ought to pick up right where we left off. And I trust that it's not 30 years until you get into your quiet time. But that's what this is all about. Whom having not seen, we love. Now let's talk about love a little bit this morning. What is love? Well, love, first of all, looks at others and not ourselves. Whom having not seen, we love. it looks at Jesus. You know, Hebrew tells us that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, laying aside the, the weights and the sin that does so easily entangle us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Aren't you thankful when we see Jesus, we see love? Wayne's favorite verse was John 3.16. Talk about a love verse. Can you quote it with me this morning? We quoted it yesterday. So those of you who were here yesterday had some practice. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you look at Jesus, you see love. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. John writes in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. And so when we think about love, we need to recognize that love looks at others and not ourselves. And in this context, love looks at Jesus and not ourselves. You know, so many times in our lives, love is so selfish. And we get all caught up in our own little worlds and wonder why we don't have what we want and why things aren't going the way we wish they were and why in the world we're dealing with difficulties as we do. But when that happens, can I ask you? Look up instead of around and down. See Jesus. And recognize that he is the one who is able to meet all of our needs. Don't know where your needs are going to come from? Look up. Feel like you don't have any friends? 
look up. Think you can't handle a problem? Look up. And love begins by looking at others and at Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Love also operates with a commitment. A commitment that gives to us confidence. Verse 8 says, though we don't see him, we love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in Where do you put your trust? Where does your faith lie? And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But it is so important that we have a complete confidence. Either God's God or he's not. Either he's able to work in our circumstances or he can't. Either God is real or we're lost. And so as we think about God, we must operate with a confident commitment that he is in control. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. Confident commitment. Love also voices forgiveness. You remember Jesus' experience? Remember when he was meeting with the woman at the well? All of her accusers were there. And he said, you without sin cast the first stone. And everybody took off because <laughs> they recognized and what did Jesus say to her? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That was forgiveness. Do you remember when Mary anointed his feet? Those who were around Jesus said, she shouldn't have done that. She should have taken that expensive ointment and she should have sold it and she should have given it to the poor. It was a waste what she did. And do you remember what Jesus said? To whom much is forgiven. Remember when he was on the cross? You remember the words that he spoke to those who crucified him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Real love recognizes that forgiveness has taken place in their lives. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May I just insert this, please? The next time you get upset with somebody, try to look for some forgiveness. Hmm? Was that not how Jesus taught us to pray? 
Father, forgive our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see, real love voices this forgiveness in our lives. And we need to understand that our love is in proportion to the forgiveness that we understand. If you don't understand forgiveness, you cannot understand love. And what has God forgiven you in your life? You can start by being reminded He forgave all your sins. Because if He didn't do that, you'd never get into heaven. Love voices forgiveness. And love endures through stress. Love's a long-term kind of thing. Now, you are familiar that there are different words that are used in the New Testament for love. Phileo is a brotherly love. We get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Don't look at the news articles about Philadelphia because you will say it was misnamed. There is eros in the Greek, which is a physical kind of love. And then there is agape. Agape is a self-sacrificing kind of love. Agape is a voluntary obedience. Think about that. A voluntary obedience. For the last several days, we have had three grand boys in our home. We've had a nine-year-old, We've had a seven-year-old, and we've had a three-year-old. Yippee-skippy. It's great to have them for 24 hours. We've had them since Tuesday. Connie really takes most of the responsibility for the grand boys. She lets me play and have fun. And I enjoy that. But there have been a number of things that uh, she's not been able to keep up on. Laundry. Dishes. Vacuuming. Thursday, she took the boys up to Grand Rapids. Took them to the Children's Museum. They all came home with bug bottles. And I got home before they got home, and you know what I did? Laundry. <laughs> Dishes. Vacuuming. Yeah, wow is right. Connie walked in and didn't even notice. But voluntary obedience, think about that. It was my privilege to do some things for her that she was struggling getting done. We're going to learn that as obedient children, we don't fashion ourselves according to our former lust and our ignorance, but as he who has called us is holy, we are to be holy.
But think about how obedience and love can go together. We show our love by our obedience to him. And do you remember what Jesus said was the criteria for our love? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We are to obey the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. This book is not given to us just so that we would have some suggestions about how we might want to live. This is the Word of God. And I show my love by coming under his authority and obeying his truth. Amen? And you can do that in your relationships too. Voluntary obedience. Let me give you a lunchtime assignment. Today lunchtime. Some of you are going to go out and some of you are going to go home and that's all fine. Here's your assignment around your lunch table today. With those who are gathered, complete this sentence, I love the Lord because. Okay? Whatever's going on, just take a few moments and complete that sentence, I love the Lord because. Whom having not seen, you love. But not only is love part of our lives, joy is part of our lives. And I want you to think a little bit with me about joy. Joy begins with this truth. Jesus is real. We believe in him. We read that in verse 8. We understand that he is alive and well. Biblical faith or trust is not primarily doing something, but it is trusting someone and the only way we can trust someone is to recognize that he is real. The word believe here is an interesting word used in the New Testament. It has the idea of taking a stance so that you can't be pushed over. Knowing that something is dependable. Recognizing that there is something trustworthy in your lives. Now, belief can be difficult. Can you imagine Noah? Noah believed God and built an ark. Took him 120 years to do it. You ever thought what would have happened if Noah had said, No. There's an old Bill Cosby routine out there where Noah is working in his workshop and God is saying, Noah, I want you to build you an ark. And Noah says, what's an ark? And God tells him what an ark is and Noah says, I'm not sure I can build the ark. And Cosby says, God says to, to Noah, Noah, how long can you tread water? Jesus is real. A little chorus that I've been playing in my tape player. Happy am I, 
Jesus is mine forever, never to leave, always in each endeavor, leading me on in a life ending never, giving a smile every mile. Oh, happy am I. Real joy is mine, no matter if the teardrops start. I found the secret. It's Jesus in my heart. Happy am I. My sin's forgiven. What a great day. Life is now worth the living. One of these days, I'll be in joy in heaven. Now that I know, upward I go. Happy am I. Amen? Jesus is real. And he ought to flow from our lives. Not only is Jesus real, the scripture talks here about an overwhelming delight. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. King James translates that unspeakable. There is no way to express it, no way to define it. I remember when my kids were born. How do you describe that feeling? You can't, can you? I remember when our first daughter was born. I came home and we had a little dog. He was actually given to Jill, who was our first born before she was born. Some of our students had gone to a flea market. You think a better place to get a dog? <laughs> and they paid a quarter for this thing. We called him Two Bits. I came home and sat at the bottom of our basement steps in that little salt box, two-bedroom home that we lived in. I just wept. It wasn't for sadness, it was for joy. And that's the inexpressible joy that we have because of who God is. Joy is not dependent upon earthly stuff. Joy is dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? To God be the glory, great things he has done. I want you to take your hymn books, please. And I want you to turn to hymn number 11. Judy, would you come, please? Andre Crouch sings this song, How Can I Give Thanks for the things you have done for me, things so undeserved that you gave your life for me. Judy's going to play this song for us. It's rather rambunctious. But you can follow along in, in your hymnals. Judy?
just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. With His blood, He has saved me. With His power, He has raised me to God be the glory. Great things He has done. And that is the yardstick of our lives. His glory. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. When I was a student in high school, I used to go to Camp Patmos. And one of the greatest times at camp was Friday night when we would have a campfire service. We would all gather after being challenged for a week and share testimonies about what God had done in our lives. We used to sing a little chorus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And then we added a little bit to that chorus. And we said, oh, Al, do you love Jesus? And Al would respond, oh, yes, I love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? I'm sure I love Jesus. Tell me why you love Jesus. Here's why I love Jesus. Because he first loved me, that's the reason we all ought to love him. And then we would repeat it. Oh, how I Whom having not seen, we love. And that brings with it a joy that cannot be expressed because of all that He has done in our lives. Amen? Next week we'll talk about faith. And we will see how faith is the outworking of this love and joy. Because it brings the salvation of our souls. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for taking it. Using your spirit to apply it to our hearts. Father, you know what we need this morning. You know what each of us needs this morning. And I pray that you would just meet those needs as only you can. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name.